Get your Bibles out. And we're going to begin a new teaching series that I believe can really help you maybe answer a few of your own personal questions. I know it will help you to answer questions that people may ask you from time to time. For instance, let me give you just some examples. Have you ever asked the question, either out loud or to yourself, why isn't this thing called Christianity working for me like it's supposed to? Why aren't my prayers being as effective as I think they should be? Or perhaps could be. Why isn't my faith enabling me to see more victory? Why isn't God moving in my life? Why isn't it happening like I thought it was supposed to happen? And on and on the questions can go. And a lot of people give up. They quit. They get discouraged. They throw in the towel. They get angry. They get frustrated. They get offended. They get irritated because... They do not understand some of the basic principles of how the system or the kingdom works. And uh, you've heard it, I've heard it before. People have said, well, I've tried the God thing and the God thing didn't work for me. Well, it could be that they didn't really try the God thing. So you got to be sure you're trying the right thing and understanding how the system or the kingdom works. And so we're going to just take a few weeks, probably through September, and just open up some foundational concept to help you understand that if these things are not in order in your life or going on in your life, then in all likelihood, you're not understanding how the system works, and you very much may be seeing things circumvented, shut down, detoured, and you're not getting to where you would want to be. And guys, I have just a tad bit of ringing in my ears, just to let you know. So we're going to talk with an introduction, an introduction to the system and an introduction to the kingdom. And I want to share with you just a couple stories that can set the stage for what I want to share with you in the next several weeks. It was a month or so, maybe two months ago, I got, a, I got for the first time in my life a laptop computer. I hadn't had a laptop. I'd been getting along with using the regular models of computers on desktop, but I was very excited because I'd wanted one. I'd wanted a laptop for years, and it was phenomenally priced and I had it shipped to me, and it arrived, and I opened up the box, and I was like a kid on Christmas because I got my brand-new laptop computer. And so I pulled out all this stuff, and I, I plugged it in, and I, I, I pushed the on button, and I got this funny screen that came across as I turned the on button. And uh, I began to, you know, push buttons and punch buttons here, there, trying to watch what the screen was telling to me, but it would not let me access what I wanted to get to. And so, as a typical guy, what do you do? Well, you get frustrated. You get angry. I was ready to put it in the box and ship it straight back to the manufacturer. But I decided, well, instead of doing that, and I know that would cost me a little money, I decided I would use the 800 number that they gave to me there, and I would call tech support, 1-800-TECH-SUPPORT, or something like that. So I called tech support, and uh, I got this guy on the other end of tech support, and I could tell he was from India. His accent was very thick. It was very hard to understand. And what made matters worse is that apparently my accent to him was thick and hard to understand. And so there together on this phone, I'm quite sure halfway around the world, we were walking through trying to 
figure out what was going on with my brand new laptop that was on the desk in front of me. And so he walked me through all kinds of stages. And I mean, it was just, it closed the laptop, open the laptop, turn it around. I mean, we were doing some very simple things. And then finally we got down to, and he, we hadn't gone three, four steps into this equation where he had me open up this one particular area on the back and, and they had a hard drive cartridge. And, and you had to make sure that hard drive cartridge was, was plugged in. And, and what happened was is that whenever they ship these things, they, they unplug it, so I guess it doesn't rattle around, break, or whatever reason they do it, but it just had to be slid. It couldn't have been more than a quarter of an inch. And then you put the back back on, you, you put the little screws back into it, and all of a sudden you push the button and boom, everything was working just like it was designed to do. And at that moment, I'll I, I, I be honest with you, I was feeling a little dumb, but as a consumer knowing that I was talking to a guy halfway around the world in India who I am unlikely ever to meet. I said sort of with an attitude. Well, you know, you really ought to let people know this when you ship these things so they wouldn't have to go through all of this and, and, and we'd be able to get this thing started up. And, and he said, well, we do tell people that. I said, oh, really? Where? And he said, on the first page of your owner's manual. Thank you. <laughs> See, the most basic of problems would have been solved if I would have taken the time to read just the first few pages of the owner's manual. And I would have avoided looking dumb, stupid, foolish to this guy in India. Now, I would like to consider myself to be a relatively bright person. And the question arises out of that. Well, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you know that? I mean, how could you have missed something as basic as that? Let me tell you just another story to illustrate this. A person I know recently went out and purchased a new cell phone. They purchased the cell phone with all the bells and whistles and all the things that a cell phone can do. And as they were leaving the store after they made their cell phone purchase, the sales associate said these very words to the purchaser of that cell phone. And it's very insightful. I want you to listen to what the sales associate said because it is insightful to the perspective of our culture. The sales associate looked at the person who had just purchased the cell phone with all the bells and whistles and they said this, don't waste your time reading the instruction manual. Just play with it a few days and you'll get it. That's a quote. Don't read the instruction manual. Just play with it a few days, and you'll get it. Now, whether or not that's good counsel for your cell phone, I'll leave that to you. But I'll assure you that it is terrible advice concerning your life, your future, your relationships, your spiritual well-being. I mean, life can be hard. Life can be frustrating. Life can be confusing if all you're going to do is play around with it. If you think that life was meant to just somehow be lived and you're just to play around with it and don't read the instruction manual and after a while you'll eventually get it, I'm here to tell you, you ain't never going to get it just like I'd never get that computer. I'd still be at my desk messing with that laptop had I not called that guy in India. You need to understand that if we're going to play around with 
with life. It's going to be hard. It's going to be frustrating. You're, you're, you're going to be confused. You won't understand why things aren't working the way they're supposed to be working. Why isn't God intervening and moving in your life? Why doesn't the kingdom work for me like it works for other people? But that's exactly what folks do when it comes to their life and their spiritual life. They play around with it. They play around with it for decades. We're not talking just a week or two, although some do that. I mean, I've heard this forever. Oh, you know, I tithed last week, and God hadn't done anything. <laughs> well, let's ignore the 40 years of rebellion you were in, okay? Because that obviously, you, you see what I'm saying? But, but not only that, we're talking about decades, decades of, of just sort of hit and miss Christianity, just, just playing around wondering why they aren't accessing all that's available. And that's the crux of our culture's problems and many people's problems. We have somehow picked up the mentality that I can sort of, sort of make a personal decision for Jesus Christ. I'll, I'll make a, a, a personal commitment to Jesus. And because it's a personal commitment, then I can just sort of personally design my own rules. It's my relationship with God. Don't you be telling me anything about my relationship with God. This is personal. This is between me and God. God knows my heart. The problem is, like I said, he may know your heart and you may not know your heart so well, but truth of the matter is you're violating probably two dozen precepts along the way. And so what we do is we, we kind of sort of self-design. We just self-design what we think God would do. We self-design how we think God should move. We, we sort of self-design this whole philosophy of religion. And Well, you know the way I see God and the way I see things. And you know, it's really interesting. We self-design all this stuff and think that somehow this God is obligated to jump into our universe. Eh. Wrong answer. God says, I'm not jumping into your universe. You're jumping into mine, saith the Lord. And so I hear this frequently. I hear, well, you know, I pray, and it just doesn't work for me. I give, I tithe, I sow. It doesn't work for me. You know, I, I go to church. It hadn't done me a lick of good. And, and you know, I, I tried reading my Bible, and I tried doing this, and I tried doing that. And you know what? None of it works for me. A, a, and you're just like me. Listen to me now. You are just like me, thinking that my computer doesn't work, and I'm ready to send it back to the manufacturer. I want a refund. This something's wrong with this computer. I took it out of the box. I put it on. I pushed the on button. Doggone it. It ought to work. When in reality, I didn't open up an owner's manual and just look at the first page and understand that there may be sort of a, a screw loose that needs to get tightened up just a little bit. And not only that, once I get the screw tightened up, I'm beginning to find out that it's really not the manufacturer's fault. When in reality, it's it's my fault. And before you're so sure that it couldn't be your fault, make sure you clearly understand how the system works. Before all of a sudden you say that there's a manufacturer's defect and somehow God doesn't care, God doesn't know, God doesn't work for you, just make sure, just make sure you understand how the system works. Because if you're not doing life like you're supposed to be doing it and you're treating it like a cell phone, you may get a wrong number. I'm going to read just a few verses to get us started. If you have your Bibles, open it up to Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to read these quick because I just want to open this up. This is the introduction for this month. And we're going to, we're going to just touch on, I'm sure, what will be foundational topics to, to many of you. But, but we're going to make sure that we've got them securely in our system so we can understand 
how the kingdom, how the system works. Matthew 13, verse 10. I want to read some things that Jesus said. Matthew 13, verse 10. It says, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know. It has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. If, if you can underline in your Bible, you ought to underline mysteries. He looks at the disciples and he says this. It's been given to you, disciples, to know the mysteries. I want everyone to say, it has been given to me to know mysteries. And that's exactly what he says here. In fact, he goes on and he says, because I speak in parables, uh, the, despite the fact they see in verse 13, they do not see. And despite the fact they hear, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In order that it might be fulfilled of Isaiah's prophecy saying in verse 14, hearing you hear, but shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. And what Jesus is saying there is this. He says there's all kinds of people who see in the natural, they hear in the natural, but he looks at his disciples and he says despite that going on in humanity at large, there's not that many that really see and really hear. That's what he's saying. How many of you know you can see something but not really see, get it? You can hear something but not really get it. The key to the kingdom is that it's a mystery and most people don't get it. All right? We're going to help in this area. A mystery, literally a biblical mystery. Now, I understand in our, in our modern day vernacular, when, when someone says the word mystery, we, we, we think of it as something that can't be known. It's a mystery. It just can't be known. But in the Bible, a mystery means something different. Literally, a mystery means a secret that's known only to the initiated. In other words, a mystery is not something that can't be known. It's something that can't be known to, to many people, but to those that are initiated, they can know it. It is something hidden that requires revelation. Revelation. So keep that in mind. The kingdom can be a mystery. Matthew 13, I want to read verse 44. Just bear with me. Matthew 13, 44. Jesus, talking in parables again, says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, this whole 13th chapter have these what we call kingdom parables in them. And the chapter tells us things about the kingdom that are not always obvious to the natural or to the veiled eye. And the ways of the kingdom, he says here, are subtle. They're paradoxical. They're ironic. They're not exactly as, as we would initially think. It says here that, that once he finds this, this treasure, he goes and he buries it and he hides it. And then he sells all that he has in order to get the thing. So, so Jesus is already telling us some things here about the kingdom. He's saying that, that you need to give everything you've got to have it. You need to understand that, that you need to embrace it. And this thing is worth everything if you can lay hold of it. And then finally in John, turn to the Gospel of John. And I, I could read all kinds of verses that illuminate this point, but I'm just going to leave it at this one. John 18, 36, Jesus is before Pilate. He's coming down to those last moments before he dies on a cross. And he and Pilate are having an interaction. They're having a discussion. And they finally get to his kingship in John 18, verse 36. And I think this is one of the greatest passages 
that deal about or illustrate the kingdom and how you have to have a different perception about the kingdom of God if you want to function in it well. The disciples, listen to me now, the disciples, the religious leaders, even Pilate himself thought they understood the ways of the kingdom. How many of you know that the disciples for a long, long time thought that the kingdom was going to come by, by force of sword? Is that not true? They thought Jesus was going to be a national political messiah, and so they were ready to go fight. They were ready to raise the army. They were ready to push this thing in the natural. Those were the disciples. The religious leaders thought the messiah was going to come a different way as well. Pilate thought he understood the kingdom in a different way as well. But, but listen to what Jesus says. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus is looking at Pilate, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, if my kingdom functioned like earthly kingdoms, what you would see is you would see everybody grabbing their swords. In, in, in modern-day terminology, they would be picking up their AK-47s. They would be picking up their 9 millimeters. If we were going to press the issues of the kingdom naturally and carnally, we'd just get guns and, and, and armament, and we would press it that way. But Jesus literally said, my kingdom, listen to me now, my kingdom is not cut out of the same mold as this age. In other words, if you think you're going to function under kingdom precept by doing what the world does, you're in for a big surprise. If you think this thing operates the way it operates out there in the world, it does not. His kingdom is cut out of a different mold. It doesn't work the same. It doesn't follow the same rules. Everybody in your life may look at you and say one thing, and it may make sense to the carnal, worldly mind, but it is not the way the kingdom works. And until you understand that and until you yield to that, it's going to be very, very frustrating. And that is why most of the time, those of us who are serious about following Jesus Christ feel like we're swimming upstream to everything the world is saying and doing. Now let's start by asking ourselves, why don't we understand this system? Why don't we understand the kingdom? Now some of the reasons can be assigned to ignorance. For many people, they just don't take the time to read the owner's manual. How many of you know this is our owner's manual? I know it's thick. I know it's small type. It's the owner's manual. And some of us just didn't take the time to read it, try to understand it, get a, get a handle on it as to how life was supposed to work. Some people don't understand the system because of impatience. We just want to get on with life. We're just tired of whatever's going on and where we are at and what's going on, and we're just impatient. So we don't want to wait. We don't want to understand anymore because we just don't want to wait. We just want to get on with it, and we're making the rules up as we go anyway, so it really doesn't matter if I have to wait. But a lot of it I want to assign as to why we don't understand the way the system works. I'll assign a lot of it to our presumption as an American culture. If you don't think America has a way of training you to think and to act, just go to another country for a couple weeks. I, I mean, I, I can remember, I've been to Russia on several occasions. I've been to several third world countries. And it doesn't take long before you get into that country to find out that it don't function like America. I mean, they are way different than we are. And, and one example is what we call in America, and I'm just using this as an example. We would, we would call this one thing I want to mention this morning, bribery. Any of you been to a foreign country 
and when you go into a foreign country, you, you've got to sort of bribe your way through. If you're going to get through the country. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying to yourself, I, I, yeah, I've had to do that and I don't like it. Don't think it's right. But truth of the matter is, that's how many countries get things done. You have to grease a few palms here and there. And as an American, you go into that system, and the first thing you do is you look at that system, and, and all of a sudden you're confronted with somebody looking at you saying, give them a 10. Give, and you're going, no, I'm not going to give them a 10. That's not how it works. Well, that may not be how it works in America, but that is how it works in that country. And right or wrong, that's how you begin to work through the country. And you can fight against it. You can attempt to stand there in passport services of that nation and try to change the mentality of 500 million people in Russia. But it's not likely to happen. Our American ways will not always help you in a foreign country. As a matter of fact, how many of you know you can be an American and go to a foreign country and it can actually hurt you? And this is what I think is funny. I think it's funny to know that the only difference between bribery and tipping is whether you pay up front or after the service. Isn't that the truth? You see, we just call that tipping and we do it after the service. We tip, do we not, to work the system. We tip in order to make sure we're taken care of. We, we tip in order to make sure things move a little bit more smoothly, right? But there is a reputation for Americans in other countries that we want things the way we want things. And, and so we don't, we, don't like, we don't like the way things are set up. But it's interesting. You go to a foreign country and you go to the nice areas. And, and why do you think they spend so much money renovating their airports? Why do you think third world countries want western style hotels and shops and stores? Because they know if Americans come with the money, we want it the way we want it. That's what we expect, that's what we want, and we're going to get it on our terms. Now, that may be how it kind of leverages and works out in the natural, but where that gets us in trouble is when we begin to pull that with God. Because let me tell you something, you can't bribe him, and he doesn't care whether you tip him or not. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and the hills the cattle are on. And maybe you've got a lot of zeros behind your giving or behind your tithe, and I'm sure the local church is grateful for whatever it is you can do, but it don't move God that much. And I know people will say, well, then they, maybe he just doesn't need it. Then you just keep it and just forget how the system works. It's not because God needs you. It's you need him. You need, you need his ways. You need the way he does things. It's not that somehow you're doing him a favor. But we've become so accustomed to the dynamics of consumerism that we just presume God would want us to have it our way. We just presume that because whatever it is we're going through and because I take it to him, we just presume he's on my side. He wants what I would want. We just presume that's how it works. And I want you to know God may look at you. He may have compassion on you and pity on you, but he may look at you and say, get your life in order. Understand how the kingdom works and I'll move. I'll move. But if you choose not to do that, it's not his fault. You see, his ways are not your ways, and his thoughts are not your thoughts. He stands as the one who sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. He's the alpha and the omega. He knows how the thing shakes out. He can help you just that fast if you choose to enter into his system and his kingdom. And you can read, it's interesting, you can read the statistics and the polling, and I find this fascinating personally, that we can have incredible percentages of people who claim, listen to me now, this is, you, 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 can, 
go and get Gallup or any of the polls that take place. Barna, he's done polls as well. But there's an incredible percentage of people who will claim to believe in God. But those same statistics show us that we as a society are as chronically dysfunctional as we have ever been. So we have this massive percentage of people who say they believe in God, but we are massively dysfunctional. And you've heard people say, and I've already mentioned it, well, I've tried the God thing. I've tried the church thing. It didn't work for me. Really? You've really tried it. Did you really implement and practice the ways of the kingdom for more than just 24 hours? Did you find out, really, really, did you find out how the kingdom works and then do it? Or did you just sort of self-design and do a little do-it-yourself spiritual program that fit what you thought you needed and then, and then you were disappointed because it didn't work out the way you thought it should? Did you really enter into the kingdom or did you just sort of pick and choose and just sort of treat spiritual things sort of like the buffet? I'll take a little of this and a little of that and a little of this and somehow or another God is obligated to make sure you're healthy despite the fact you ate 50 carbs plus dessert. Isn't it amazing what we, what we expect? We expect to do all these sorts of things, and then why are, we, why are we like this? I don't know. Because we don't understand how the system works. So where we must begin, and this is just the introduction, but i got to start at ground zero. If we don't start at ground zero and we deal with other intricate things, then it'll just mess you up. What I'm about to read to you, if you have your Bibles, turn to John's Gospel, chapter 3. Most familiar, should be the most familiar chapter in the Bible, I would hope. And for many of you that are listening to me here this morning, what I'm about ready to share with you may have a, a few little nuggets you never thought of before, but by and large, as you begin to look through that third chapter as you're finding it, you'll begin to think and say to yourself in all likelihood, well, I understand John chapter 3. I know what Jesus is fixing to talk about here. I've, I've heard it preached. I've, I've walked in some of these things. But I want you to bear with me for just a moment. I want you to just walk with me through what you might consider to be superficial or initiatory things but bear with me for just a moment because if we don't get the entrance right then the rest will not fall into order so in john chapter 3 i want to read to you a familiar story and let's just put it out there because it is crucial to understanding the ways of the kingdom john 3 verse 1 there was a man of the pharisees named nicodemus a ruler of the jews this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter. Everyone say enter. Now, isn't that interesting? He said, he said, you can't enter. I'm pausing here for just a moment because I'm believing there's going to be revelation. You cannot enter into the rule of God. You cannot enter into the things of God. You cannot enter this unless you're born again. This is what he says. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him how can these things be 
Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, listen, now this is great. Are you the, the teacher, not a teacher, the teacher? You aren't just a professor. You're just not a instructor and instructor, forgive me. You're the teacher. Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Now, I just want to talk a little bit about this passage and just share with you a couple things that just leapt out to me. Let's talk a little bit about Nicodemus here for just a minute. Nicodemus, obviously, is the respected teacher in Israel. Whenever I read this, I always think of him being this nice, good, ostensibly God-fearing, I would say, religious person. Now, know, know this. Nicodemus didn't lack education. He didn't lack instruction. He had letters behind his name. I suppose he was Dr. Nicodemus, if, if you could put those things in today's terms. He was an incredibly bright guy. But this is the key to it. As bright as he was, he did not get, hear me, he did not get how the system, how the kingdom worked. He, like thousands of other well-meaning, at that time it was Jewish people, but today thousands of well-meaning Gentile people, American people, world people, there, there are thousands of people who have created a system. They've created their own personal system of religion. You know, they, they pull a little scripture and then, you know, they pull a little, you know, uh, what do we call that? Wives' tales. You know, you'll hear someone say, well, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. That's what I say. You know, the Bible says that, you know. And, you know, they just, they just pull in all these things, and they make their own system. And they're well-meaning. They're well-intended. They're God-fearing. But they presume that God is obligated to work within that system. So it says here that he comes to Jesus. Interestingly, he came at night. I think that's interesting. It's a great picture of somebody that's in the dark. Literally. They're just in the dark. He's clueless. His mind is veiled to the things of the kingdom. He sees, the Bible tells us, this is what's interesting. Nicodemus did not come up to Jesus, which is what many people think. Somewhere this got taught that he sort of tripped into the camp wherever Jesus was, and he wanted to know how to get to heaven. Nicodemus wasn't asking about getting to heaven, was he? What he was asking was, I'm seeing miracles, I'm seeing signs, I'm seeing power, I'm seeing effectiveness, I'm seeing success, I'm seeing all of these things taking place, and I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm a smart guy. Been to all the rabbinical schools of the day. I am the teacher in Israel. I don't get it. And he comes to Jesus at night, and he, and he wants to know how, dis, despite having the best of religious training, his life isn't adding up and things aren't adding up. You know, it's fascinating to me. I can remember back now 28 some odd years. I remember when I was born again and I was first saved. You know, at first you lose all your friends. I just think oh, that's almost what needs to happen. You just almost lose them all because you've just been translated to another nation, another kingdom. And, and so I'd lost my original friends. And, and, but, but hear me now, they all said they love God. Now don't misunderstand. They love God, but they just didn't love him apparently like I loved him. So anyway, they just said, well, you're crazy, you're kind of nuts, you're too passionate. And uh, it's interesting that they love God too, but they didn't want anything to do with me. So anyway, they went off and did their thing, but it wasn't a couple months later when their lives weren't working. It's interesting because they were always, they were always in a group, and they would always pick on me in a group. There'd be four or five of them, and they'd get together, and they'd say, ah, look at Baird. Yeah, he's that religious nut. He's the preacher boy. And they'd always, with four or five of them, they could sum up enough courage to go after me. But it was interesting, when their lives weren't working, they didn't come as a group. They came one at a time at night. 
Can I talk to you? Isn't it fascinating? Even, even the whole solar system illustrates people's perception at night being darkened. He came at night, and he says, nobody can do these signs, Jesus. Now, the reason I put this in here is because his struggle wasn't so much with, am I going to heaven or I'm going to hell? That may should have been his struggle. But his, his struggle at that moment was, I, I want to know how you get God working like you got him going on in your life. It's important to understand that we live in a culture here in America, and we live in a religious system in America who asks the same question. It's not that they don't go to church. It's not that they just don't go through what they go through. But they're asking the same question. How come I'm going through the religious patterns, but it ain't happening in my life? I need some miracles in my life. I'm doing what they tell me I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going through the hoops. I'm practicing the traditions. I'm doing all that I'm doing, but it ain't happening. And that's exactly where Nicodemus was. He says, it ain't happening in my life, despite the fact I got letters behind my name. And Jesus goes, well, unless you are born again. He says, unless literally you are born from above. We've used the term now for many, many decades, born again. But literally you could translate that born from above. And that's a key concept that I want you just to keep at the forefront right now of your mind. Born from above, born again. He says if you're not born from above, if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now that word there, see, idon, and I didn't put it on the screen, but in the original language it has nothing to do with your natural eyes. Your natural eyes, I know you don't care about this stuff, but it's important to me. You know, the, the word, if I were to, you cannot see the kingdom of God with your natural eyes, you would have used the word blepo. But he didn't use the word blepo, he used the word idon. And the word idon illustrates that he's not talking about whether or not you see this thing in the natural. He's talking about that unless one is born from above, unless one is born again, you cannot perceive, you cannot discern, you cannot understand, you will not get the kingdom. You just won't get it. It has to do with the unveiling of your eyes. As to what the kingdom is all about. You cannot educate your way into that moment. You can't go to seminary. You can't go to Bible college alone. And get that revelation. It's not about getting more information about God. That's been our problem in America. We think God operates like the internet. We just have to download some more information and we'll be fine. We don't need to download more information. We need to download some revelation. We've got to download, download some presence some unveiling, some unmasking. It's about experiencing something from above that opens up your eyes to a whole new realm. And Jesus uses this analogy of birth to help Nicodemus understand what this means. And I'm zeroing in on this because it is so overlooked in the day and age that we live in. And I want to give you just some natural, first some natural concepts about birth and, and help you to see how that leads you into life in the kingdom. Let me just give you some examples. Number one, when you're born, number one, when you're born, you don't remember this. Nobody remembers this because it's a lot of years for some of us, a few for others, but it's still true for everybody. You are clueless. When you're a baby, you're clueless. Your first moments of birth, you are clueless to this strange new world. You have enjoyed the last nine months in a nice, warm, protective womb. And now you're born, and your world gets rocked. Have you ever thought about this? All of a sudden, I mean, you're just thinking, you're just minding your own business there in your mama's womb. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you've maturated to the place where it's time for birth to take place. And all of a sudden, God, in his infinite wisdom, decides to turn you upside down. 
And all of a sudden, you're born in a very traumatic way. Everything you knew to be the rules in the womb have now changed. Everything you knew to be the way it worked has suddenly taken on a whole new perspective. In fact, the darkness of the womb has just been replaced with this incredible light that's shining all around you. And that's why that baby, when it comes out, it's going... And, and, and they try to wrap them up. And they keep their eyes closed for usually a good long time. And everything you thought you knew and understood has now abruptly changed. Because you've been born. And you go through that birth process. I mean, that's an incredible transition when you think about it, is it not? I mean, I'm, I'm halfway glad that I don't remember that. I mean, we'd probably be more messed up than we are right now if we actually carry too much of that with us. That is a traumatic entrance to the world. I don't want to be indelicate, but God pushes you through something that you don't fit in. That's about as delicate as I can be. Welcome to the world. God, no wonder you scream. You're clueless, though. You, just, you, know, you, you don't have a clue as to what this new world is all about. Number two, you are completely exposed. To my knowledge, every baby ever born has come out naked. You are exposed. You cannot hide. There is no pride. A baby cries, it squalls, it screams, it yells because they're exposed and they feel this sense of being out of control. Even at that, at that initial nascent age, they wrap them up again so they can feel. Like, all right, I know I got a whole, I got a handle on my surroundings. Number three, you have needs that you can't meet yourself. Somebody greater than you has to intervene for you. And you have to let them. If you don't let them, you will die. Is that not true? You cannot take the umbilical cord with you. You can't, you can't pop out this baby. Uh, excuse me, doctor. I want. We lost the hookup here. That lifeline just got cut, did it not? Your lifeline to your old world just got cut. Oh, there was revelation there, and it hit me. Your lifeline to that womb world just got cut. And all of a sudden, you've been put out here into this new world. And the rules of this brand new world are different than the rules of the womb. You say, well, I don't like that. I'm going I'm to take my womb rules with me. You're in trouble. You're absolutely in trouble. In fact, that's probably why you're there screaming and yelling sometimes, too. They're probably going, I want to go back. 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 And, and, and I'm just telling you, your mom or your dad is going to sit there and rock you and say, ain't no going back, man. This is what you got. Get used to it. It ain't changing. Number four. I am on number four, right? You are transitioned from one environment to another. You are seeing things differently than you've ever seen them. One environment was dark. It was restrictive. This new environment is bright. It's expansive. So you need to understand this, this in, you have an environmental change. It's a, it's a whole different world. Number five, you're out of your comfort zone. Your tightly defined world is now gone. 
The place you were that you had gotten used to and that you could easily control is now gone forever. And you are faced with having to trust and believe that someone greater will look after your interests. You're out of your comfort zone. It just doesn't work that way anymore. But the good news is this. If you have good, competent, earthly parents, the comfort you will now receive out of the womb is far greater than any comfort you could have experienced in the womb. Is that not true? I mean, I mean, I mean, for all the nice things that the womb provides, I mean, to have a, have a blanket and have somebody love you and hold you up close and rock you and, and, and tap you, I mean, that's way better, way better than anything you could have ever experienced in the womb. But here's the deal. You've you, you got to understand that you, you've got to let that happen. Now, we're going to end with this. Jesus said that entrance and understanding of the kingdom hinges on just those precepts. He said that if you want to enter and you want to see how the kingdom works, you're going to have to understand that you're going to be born again. Nicodemus says, how can this be? You can't go into the womb a second time. True, naturally, you can't get into the womb a second time. But for those of us that lived in the world and we breathed in the world and we functioned in the world naturally, we will go through this, this process and, and sometimes crisis and certainly an experience of breaking out of this world womb life and breaking into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says you need to understand how this works. And Nicodemus' problem was he was educated and he was religious. But the problem was he wasn't born again. I remember back in the 70s, my grandma had on her shelf one of Billy Graham's books. And I remember Charles Colson put a book out. And they had big fat letters on it that said born again. We, I just don't hear born again much anymore. We, we talk about decisions for Jesus, and, I'm, and you need to make decisions. Don't misunderstand me. But we need to get born again. Born again. Born again. That's what we're doing. We're looking at people saying, come to church, make a decision, raise your hand, pray the prayer. So we send them on home. Are you born again? Born again. We make these decisions. We educate ourselves. We're God-fearing, not saying we aren't God-fearing. We recognize when something appears to be from the Lord. Nicodemus wasn't stupid. He saw Jesus operating. He perceived at least some level that nobody can do what you're doing unless God is in that. So he had a lot of great qualities. But the problem for Nicodemus was, while he could sort of see it from the outside, he wasn't on the inside of that game. He could sit up in the stands and sort of watch some people you know, be in the kingdom of God and it works in their life, but he wasn't on the playing field. And when life isn't working and we aren't seeing what we've been promised, before I can give you more instruction and tell you these are the other things you need to begin to know in order to function in the kingdom, we've got to start at ground zero. And that is you can't enter the thing unless you've been reborn, unless you've been born from above, unless there's been some opening, unveiling, this revelation that opens up the heart that says the way the world works doesn't work and the way the kingdom works does. Are you with me? The technical term is called to be regenerated. We don't preach that much either because it's just one of those big words. And so we live in the no doctrine, doctrine age. Whatever you want to believe, whatever makes you happy, whatever it is that you sort of designed for yourself, we're happy to facilitate that for you. That is such hogwash because people are not being led to the place where they are being born from above. Born from above. 
born again. I'm not preaching a self-help program. I am not preaching a message that somehow facilitates what somebody said they're going to design on their own. I'm here to declare the owner's manual, and it's the only thing that works. Amen. So let me just give you just a couple quick things here, just so you know. I'm going to do this real fast. All right, listen, listen in a hurry. To be born again, I just wrote five quick things, probably more than this, but I just wrote five quick ones. To be born again means, number one, you are made alive, made alive to the things of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. The womb is gone. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The word means fresh. There's there's something fresh to it. You are made alive to the things of God. Alive. you're You're alive to the things of God. You desire the things of God. You want the things of God. I, I'm not, I, please understand, I, I want to be a compassionate, caring, loving shepherd in so many ways. But you got to ask yourself the question sometime in your life, if you don't want the things of God, are you really alive to the things of God? Don't you think that's a reasonable question? I think so. You're made alive to the things of God. I like the things of God. I like hanging around the kingdom. I like hanging around the Lord. I mean, this is cool. Wow. I mean, it's just your whole life just takes on a whole new meaning. Number two, you recognize that you've been exposed as a sinner. Now, none of us like being exposed, do we? I don't know how much I like coming out of the womb, just being there, you know, in my birthday suit to everybody. Nobody, I I think, likes that. But it says here in Ephesians 2, listen to this, verse 1. It said, and you, listen, talking to us, and you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sin in which you once walked according to the what? The course of this world. He said there was a day you walked according to the way the world did it. You walked according to the way they made choices. They made decisions. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, because he's the God of this age. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like everyone else. In other words, our life didn't look any different, didn't sound any different, didn't play out any different than everybody else we hung around. Verse 4, but God, hallelujah, but God, but God showed up, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved there's I was dead I was in terrible shape and God intervened and gave me life you just you try to sit on that I can't this stuff's alive in me number three you realize that you have needs that only God can meet You can't do it yourself. About the time you think you can do this yourself, you're going to find out that it ain't going to work. If you could do it yourself, it had already been happening. Philippians 4.19. We ought to have that one in our mind as well. It says, and my God, didn't say your God. Do you hear what it said? My God, it's ownership. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I don't care what your need is, my God 
you give them a chance, my God can do it. Supply all your need. Number four, you've been transitioned out of one environment to another. Colossians 1.13. I'm just reading your verses. It's all in the Bible. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and methostamine. He conveyed us, lock, stock, and barrel. He's conveyed us. He's transferred us. He's delivered us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He's taken us out of, of that old, worthless, destructive way of living, and it says that He has transferred us into another environment. And then number five, it says you inherit a completely different way of living life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. I'm coming down for a landing here. It says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. Or in other words, he guards himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. He's unveiled our eyes. He's taken, taken the veil off that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, this is what I want to ask you. And I'm coming to the conclusion right now. Do you remember a moment? When you were born again. Now I know, I know that moment looks different from everybody. They're unique. Mine, mine, mine would not be the same as many of yours. I could tell you story after story, unique things, unique ways God has reached people. I mean, the, the, the experiences and the illustrations would be wide and they would be varied. But the key is not so much do we match up by way of experience. That's not the issue. The issue is not was it dramatic? Because it must be dramatic. That's not the issue. The issue is not well was it subdued and was it quiet? That's not the issue. The issue was not was it in church or was it at home? Was it in the shower? C.S. Lewis said that he was converted on the back of his brother's motorcycle. Makes you wonder how his brother was driving. I don't know, it could have been in your car going down the road. It could have been at work one time during the lunchtime. I mean, there's a thousand ways that God can break in, crack through. But all of a sudden at that moment, eyes are unveiled. Hearts are opened up. The question isn't how did it happen. The question is, has it been? Has it been? Because I'm telling you, I can walk up and down the streets of the holy city and look and say, do you love the Lord? And the majority of people will say, yes, I love the Lord. Do you know God? A lot of people, a good majority would say, yes, I know God. I would look and say, have you made a decision for Jesus? And they'd say, yeah, I've made a decision. And I might even ask the question, are you born again? And we've begun to preach something that may not quite be exactly what the Bible was teaching. And they may say, well, yeah, I think I've been born again. I, I made a decision. My question is, have eyes been opened, hearts been opened? Have you, have you seen? Have you entered? Because we can't go anywhere. I can teach you precept that will literally unlock miracles in your life. I can do one or two quick things in you that will help you see God move in your life more effectively, but it ain't going to work unless we first enter and see by being born again. Do you understand why I can't just assume this? I can't do that. I can't do that. 
I can't do that. You've heard my story. I'm not going to go through my whole story. I went to church my whole life. My parents took me to church, took me to a mainline denominational church, not saying there was anything wrong with it, except somehow or another, I never got the gospel out of it. Maybe they preached it and I wasn't hearing it. But I remember I went there for years and years and years. And if you would have asked me, do you love Jesus? I probably would have said yes. Do you know the Lord? I probably would have said yes. But truth of the matter was my heart was darkened. My eyes were veiled. I was clueless to the things of the kingdom. Clueless. And there came a moment. And it was a Sunday evening church. You've heard me tell the testimony before. It came a moment. I had vowed a vow in my heart that I would never walk down to the front of that church. Because every time somebody walked down to the front of that church, they started bawling and squalling and you know, two nostril alerts, and I'm just, I'm not doing that. Man, you got to understand, man, I was a ball player. I was an athlete. People knew me in town. Olathe, Kansas wasn't that big in those days. Everybody knew. In a church of 2,000, I'm here to tell you, everybody would know that before the night was over if I were to do something like that. And I can remember standing there, and the Holy Ghost began to work on me. I didn't even know what it was at the time. I'm just standing there, and my hands were on the pew ahead of me, and, and I literally had a shake to it, and I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't define conviction. I couldn't define the loving, wooing nature of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't define those things in those days. I didn't know. I just knew something was transpiring in me that, that I half hated and I half wanted. Didn't realize at the time that the, the part that hated it was the part that's trying to woo me back to the womb. And the part that loved it was the part that was wooing me into a brand new day. And I remember I slipped out walking down there going, I ain't going to cry. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. They may get me down to an altar, but they ain't going to make me cry. i just tell you right now. And I, I hit my knees and I just went, blah. Man, and I wept my way. I'm talking about weeping my way back to God. I, I, I don't demand that has to happen. I just find it interesting, though, that that there was something in me that, that was so realized, so realized, that, that I, was, I, was, I, I was veiled, I didn't know. And something opened up that 28 years later, 28 years later, it, am I perfect? No. I've stumbled along the way a time or two. Gratefully, I've matured and it's all been, it's all been heading the right direction. But I, but, I, but I can say this, there's never been a moment in 28 years that I ever once I ever I, that I can imagine ever once thought somehow God didn't care, didn't love, couldn't work, couldn't do. I just don't remember. There was something that, that took me out from where I was that put me into a whole new environment. I wasn't taught that. I wasn't educated at that point. I sure enough didn't get it in college or seminary. It was just something God did. And my question is this. Have, have you ever presented yourself for th that kind of a moment? I remember back in the 1970s, early 60s and 70s, there was a move of God that went through this nation. We called it the Jesus Movement. And out of the Jesus Movement, the charismatic renewal started. But do you know in the Jesus Movement, there were all kinds of people who were being plucked out of their drugs and they were being plucked out of their, their, their crazy situations, their dysfunctionality, and God was plucking them out and he was causing them to forever be changed. And right now, many of those young people in those days are now pastors and missionaries and evangelists and they're doing the work. And, and, my, and my greatest concern, my greatest concern is this. And that is somehow what God did in those days will be lost in these days. My greatest concern, can I just share with you as a parent, 
because I've got, I've got two boys and, and my boys are great and I love my daughter and she's turning out great and we're, we pray and we believe and we parent and we direct. But my greatest concern is, is that they grow up in an atmosphere like we have and they get to grow up under their dad preaching and praying and their mom sewing into them and preaching and praying and they grow up in all the stuff we have and it just becomes religion to them and it just becomes another thing they do on the seventh day and they aren't born again. I look my kids in the eye and say, you can grow up in a pastor's house, but unless you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You can't see it. You're clueless. It doesn't matter. The the natural gene pool doesn't get it for you. Just because your mom and dad love God and they're all out and passionate, that doesn't necessarily transfer to you. You're going to have to seek God, want God, and, it's, and that veil is going to have to be rent by God. And just because you're in here, because we make you be in here, doesn't keep you from being just religious and a fake and a phony. Have you been born again? Born again. Born from above. Man, he wants to rock some worlds. Do you understand? He wants to rock the city we're in, but we're going to have to declare ye must be born again. Born again. Born again. Would you stand with me, please? Don't dodge. Don't, please don't dodge the moment by being religious or by being just back to your ways that you know the lingo, you know how it works, but I just had, has your eyes been unveiled? Or are you like Nicodemus? I mean, I'm talking to people that maybe today you're in a desperate situation and, and you don't know God, never have made a decision for God, and it would be easy for you to make a step like this because you're saying, I, I, don't, I don't bring much by way of religion with me. I'm pretty irreligious, but it could well be that there are folks here that have been in church all their life. Do you understand that there, there's going to come a revival that people who grew up in church and maybe spent a good number of years in church, there's going to be a revival that God's going to call them back. Do you understand? That's Jacob in the Bible. Jacob, Jacob grew up in a godly home. Jacob grew up around godly parents. But Jacob had a character problem. He had a character issue. He knew how to talk the talk. He had the lingo. Yes, he had a destiny on his life. But he had to get a hold of God and wrestle with God. And until he personally wrestled with God, just because Abraham was his daddy, didn't mean anything. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sorry, Isaac was his daddy. It didn't mean anything. Isaac's godliness didn't make Jacob godly, despite the fact he knew the lingo, he knew the talk. He had to get to his penile and wrestle it out with God himself. And do you understand, that's what revival is. Revival isn't just going out and getting drunks and addicts and homeless people and and all the folks that we would say are the outcasts, the ditch people. That's not it. Do you understand there's a revival that's got to happen where we're talking it needs to sweep south abroad and it needs to get inside of some of those homes down on the peninsula. And I don't give a rip that they go to the biggest, the brightest, the most expensive. It's been here the longest. Who cares? Have you been born again? Because it ain't going to matter. You go to the gates and look at God and you say, I'm from Charleston. God's going to go, so what? I want to know if you've been to the cross. If you've embraced my son. If you allowed that to unveil your eyes, a revelation of the cross. I don't know why that's in me. I don't preach born-again sermons much, do I? But I just feel like today is a day we need to preach a born-again message. Have you been born again? 
I'm not here. I don't stand as your judge. Believe me, I have no clue. This is, this is a personal moment. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. The Bible says I can know a little bit because I can look at a man and see his fruits, the fruit of his life, and it may make me wonder at times, but I, ultimately I don't know. It isn't going to matter what pastor thinks. That is true, but it will matter if, you, if you're playing around with him because he knows it all. That's true too. So when you say God knows my heart, he does. He does. He sure does. Holy Spirit, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that in these last moments we spend, that, Lord, you would just move up and down these aisles. And you know what, Lord? I do the best I know how to do. And I'm sure sometimes I yell too much. I shout too much. Probably just am a little too intense. So, Lord, I pray that in no way would my style interfere with what the Holy Spirit would like to do at this moment. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that somehow you would take the imperfection of how I deliver, how I speak, that you would somehow, Lord, move beyond that and help people here in this room this morning understand that if they have a true need of being born from above, if, if their eyes need to be unveiled, if, if somehow or another, maybe they need to weep their way back to God, they, they need to just allow a breaking to take place in their life. They, they need to allow you to push them through that, that opening, that last opening of womb life and bring them into the sun, the glorious light of your sun. Lord, Lord, I can't do that. I, I do the best I know how to do to be persuasive, but Lord, ultimately only your spirit can get inside of them, draw them. So Holy Spirit, would you do that in these last moments we have? I pray that no one would feel put on the spot, but at the same time, Lord, if you're shining a light on them, I don't want them to ignore it or avoid it. Please, please lovingly, Lord, you can do this perfect. You always do this perfect. I'm counting on you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this is what I want to ask. Nobody looking around. Doesn't matter. I don't care about your church attendance. It just, just doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter your theology right now. Doesn't matter to me. I just want to know this question. If your heart, if you know right now, my heart's not right with God. It's not right with God. I need to get right. I need to get right. I'm alienated. It's darkened. It's veiled. I can't see clearly. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you just lift your hand and say, I need my heart to be unveiled right now. I need my heart to be unveiled right now. Lift your hands. I see one, I see two, I see three, I see four. Lift your hands. I need my heart to be unveiled right now. Any more? In these last moments, these last moments. You can put them down. This is what I want to ask now. Jesus said these words. He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you'll deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. So it really boils down to, am I, willing, am I willing to say yes and step out into something? To transition from the environment that's represented by where I'm standing right now. And to step out and to come to a place that represents a new environment called the kingdom. Right now, I, I can tell you, I, I saw the hands that went up, and I appreciate it. I'll not chase you down after service. If you, if you choose not to, I, I won't come get you. You'll never know. I'll never, I'll never crack. But right now, if you had enough courage to say, I need that to happen, would you take it a next step and come out and just and join me here? There may have been one or two, I'll bet, that didn't even raise their hand. But God's still working on you right now. Oh, wouldn't you let him love you? Wouldn't you let him love you? Wouldn't you let him love you? Wouldn't you let him do that? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you let him unveil your eyes to kingdom things? 
Wouldn't you do that? How about it? How about you? If you lifted a hand or if you didn't lift a hand, would you slip out right now? We're going to wait. Some have already come. You won't be the only one. How about it? How about it? How about it? You see, I can sense right now the Spirit of God's moving. See, I can. You say, how do you know that? It's because I've entered into the kingdom. You can sense those things, feel those, feel those things. Come on. That's good. Come on. Let God love you. This, he just loves you. He doesn't want you struggling. You just, we just struggle and we struggle and we struggle and we wonder why it doesn't work. And I'm just saying we got to get this thing nailed down. we got to get this thing nailed down. How about it? Holy Spirit, you're faithful. You're being faithful right now. You're being faithful right now. You say, wow, Pastor, that's kind of an intense moment. Yep. This is an important moment. This is real. Life in the kingdom is real. How about it? I only have just another moment or two. Come on. If I could find the right word, I'd say the right word if that was the key to unlock it. But I'll tell you what the key is. The key is your will right now. Lord, I pray, the last prayer I'll pray is right now, that, Lord, you will melt that heart right now. Lord, I bind the rebellion and the stiff-neckedness, the, the hard-heartedness. I bind that in the name of Jesus. And I ask that you would lovingly bring a melting. Melt right now. Melt that heart right now. Melt it right now. Melt it, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Fifteen seconds and I'm done. Don't wait me out. Fifteen seconds and I'm done. Fifteen seconds. Say yes. That's you. Just say yes. I'm going to ask some of my guys, some of my ladies, if you'll come down. God bless you. God bless you. Come on. There's about five more seconds. We had one slip out and come on down. This is important. This is the most important thing. We're going to talk about some great stuff. Let's get this nailed down here, though. Let's get it nailed down. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We're going to pray. Everybody's going to pray together right now. I want you to get ready to declare it with me. Everybody in the house, those of you that are with me down front, this is important. Linking up with me as you pray right now. Uh, is just a guide to help you through this. You, you attach your genuineness. You attach your sincerity. But ultimately, you've got to want. You've got to want God to unveil your heart right now. So as I help you and we all pray together, let's let God unveil our eyes, shall we? Let's pray. Everyone, dear Jesus, thank you this morning that you're alive and well and that by your Spirit, you've talked to me I confess now all sin, rebellion, and waywardness. And by an act of my will, as you've enabled me, I choose the King, the kingdom, Jesus Christ. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart. He was raised from the dead. And that same power is opening the eyes of my heart I declare I will see I will enter into the things of the kingdom thank you Lord for causing me now to never be the same I will never be the same never ever be the same because of this moment you're opening the heavens that I might see and I believe I'm walking into a new day understanding how the kingdom works in Jesus name amen give the Lord a hand
Thank you, Lord. Born again. Born again. I want to listen. Now, now guys, I know some of you. I know some of you real well. This, this is the deal. I've been, the folks here heard me. You plant yourself in an altar, pitch a tent in an altar, get your sleeping bag at the altar. Don't lose. Don't lose. When God unveils your eyes, wow. There are going to be challenges, no doubt about it. There are going to be there are going to be things that will that will challenge you. Probably walking out of this door this morning, but 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 don't ever lose the fact that He's unveiling and He's revealing, and and you're in a new environment. Rather, you're in a new environment. You're in a new environment. A new environment. A new day. You're not the same person. When He said "born again," that's what it literally means. I'm a new creature. That's I just closed the door. I'm just so glad. I am so glad you don't know who I was. I tell those stories. And I'm so glad that it's just gone. Gone. It's gone. Closing, closing, closing. I pray right now, especially for you, that all the days of your life you'll have you'll you'll just you'll be unveiled to the things of the kingdom and the things of God. I really, I really do for our young people. I pray that all the days of that you will you will miss the scars of, of my life and, and other lives. You'll miss it. You'll just miss it. I'm gonna believe that for you. Amen. And, and you know, some of you know how this works. There may be someone slide up and pray with you again before you go. So if you don't mind, got our girls, can I get you to go, ladies, excuse me, to the disciple banner. Guys, if you can go to the connect banner real quick, and I'm going to pray with the congregation and cut everybody loose. Amen. The next few weeks, though, I want you to know if you've got people, friends, and they don't understand why it ain't working in their life, I- I've got some answers. I've got some answers. We've got to begin to implement the things and the ways of the kingdom. And, I, and I'll tell you this, it won't take two weeks. I can, I, can, I can give you two key concepts that will absolutely make life-changing phenomenal differences if you choose to see and to hear and then implement. Amen? Pray for us. We're going to be heading down the road here in just a few moments, so I, I'd appreciate you praying for us. And remember all those people that are traveling on a Labor Day holiday. We're so glad that you're here. I trust we'll see you back next week. In the middle of the week, we have classes, prayer time, so we hope you avail yourself to all of that. But let's just pray one more time. Father, thank you for this day, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you're unveiling and revealing all kinds of things and and making us see, Lord, exactly where we are and how it can work in our life. Lord, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you would watch over your people, that you would protect them, and that you would keep them that you would make your face to shine upon them and that you would give them great peace. Lord, I just pray right now that you would cause us to be a voice that would declare the truths of the kingdom so that we might lead people into ways that really work because you are who you say you are. Bless them, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Everybody give the Lord one more hand clap before we go.